Welcome to the First Mass Podcast. Today, Pastor Paul continues his series in 1 Timothy on legacy and the Apostle Paul sharing instructions with his disciple Timothy. Let's listen in as he preaches from 1 Timothy chapter 5. As our kids are heading out for Children's Church, let me just say thank you, kids. Thank you for your kind words about your pastors. Uh, yeah, we don't know what we do either, and so it's, uh, it's good to get confirmation. Uh, appreciate that, and, and uh, I think the hours worked are, are somewhere between 3 and 120, somewhere in there, depending on the week, so thank you. Um, you can't plan everything, and, and uh, you get surprised every once in a while by lay people who put together, add things to, to our service. Pastor Becca and I had a plan for today, and I have a preaching plan for today, and I wasn't, wasn't expecting anything about you guys being kind to us, so thank you. That's very kind. Um, let me just as a reminder let you know that uh, at 6 a.m. Every, every Thursday, I pray with anybody who would like to via Zoom, and so I'd love to have you join me via Zoom. You can get those links via text if you text the word prayers to that number that's on the screen here for you, and so those come in at about 5.55 on Thursday mornings, and then we gather via Zoom. It's a, it's a great time. It's, I see this as, as kind of a sacrifice that we can give to the Lord. This is an opportunity for us to wake up and to be in God's presence intentionally. Uh, God, God doesn't rest while we rest, and so we wake up to find, find the Lord, and, and He is faithful to, to be present with us when we, when we respond to the Lord in prayer in the morning anytime, really, but in the morning when we wake up, it's a great opportunity to just remind ourselves we serve a God who is living and active, and so I invite you to join me on those Thursday mornings at six. Um, I'd invite you this morning to join me in the Word of God. We, we come every week to, to find out what the Lord has to say to us from Scripture, and consistently, week after week, we amazingly find wisdom for our daily lives here in, in the Bible Today I'm in the book of First Timothy, and I'm in chapter 5, I'm in the later half of chapter 5, and so I enjoy, invite you to join me there in First Timothy chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 17, I'm going to just walk a ways through First Timothy today. This fall we have been exploring this book that comes from the Apostle Paul, written to one of his most devoted, most, uh, most trusted, closest disciples, who is Timothy. Paul was later in life when he wrote this letter, so he's got some legacy ideas that he's trying to transmit. He's trying to think about how Timothy, his most devoted disciple, will continue to live in his model and continue to lead the church in a way that honors all that Paul had done to establish the church throughout the known world during, during his life and ministry. Timothy was in the church in Ephesus when, when Paul wrote this letter. The, this is a church that was incredibly important for Paul's ministry. He had spent years in Ephesus during his missionary journeys. And, and so Paul knows what happens in Ephesus. He knows the life of Ephesus. And he knew that the church in Ephesus was not without problems. It, it faced a, a significant problem from some false teaching 
that some of the leaders in the church were, were spreading this, this false teaching. Next week, we're going to look more deeply into what maybe some of that false teaching was as Paul shifts gears from where he's been and, and talks a little bit about the, the false teaching that was happening. But there were also some relational problems in the church in Ephesus. And so these chapters, chapter 5 especially, that we're looking at today and into the beginning of chapter 6, these deal specifically with some of the relational problems that were happening between Christians and with Christians out and, and folks outside of the church. And so Paul, Paul addresses lots of relational issues. Pastor Ryan really carefully and faithfully led us through the first uh, half, a little bit more, of First Timothy chapter five, last week, when when Paul talks to Timothy about leading a church where he's not the oldest person, he's not he's not the you know leader just by virtue of his age. In fact, in chapter four, Paul says, "Don't let anybody look down on you because you are young." But we see from Paul's instructions at the beginning of chapter five that Timothy wasn't the youngest. Uh, yeah, he wasn't the youngest person in the church either, that there were people younger than him that he had to disciple and mentor and, and train. And, and so Paul talks about relationships with those older and those younger, and then he talks about relationships with men and with women. And, and Pastor Ryan just did an incredible job talking about how in the church we are brothers and sisters, uh, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, uh, sons and daughters, we, we love one another with that open-hearted relationship, family relationship is the way we ought to think of one another. I, I think of the way that I feel around family, there's, there's a, a way that I feel around family and it, it kind of is like relaxed and it's, it's fun and it's easy and, and by God's grace we have pretty, pretty good family dynamics and so when we get together as family it's just... I don't have to be anybody I'm not. Uh, and, and so when we come to church, we, we ought to expect to treat one another in the same way. We don't, we don't need to put on airs. We don't need to put on a happy face. Uh, we don't, and we should come to church expecting to find people where they are in life, whether it's been a rotten, terrible week or it's been the best week ever. We, we come together expecting to love each other whatever whatever we come from through through life. Well, then Timothy talks about how to handle widows, and really the, the themes that <clears throat> he develops through the, the part of the letter I'm looking at today, it, it begins with how Paul talked about handling widows in the church. And, and the word that Paul uses to talk about widows is the word honor. And it's not translated perfectly. The the Paul originally wrote in the in Greek. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a frog in my throat. Let me see if I can clear out without making too many gross noises. <clears throat> I'll do my best here. Paul originally wrote in the Greek language, an ancient form of the of the modern Greek language we have today still existing in the world. But <clears throat> we, he used a word in in First uh, Timothy chapter five verse three that in the New Living Translation, the translation that we frequently use around here, is translated take care of. He, he says, take care of the widows in the church. 
honor is, is another way that that could be translated. And I'm going to focus on the idea of honor because Paul is using the same word, it's the same Greek word that he uses several different times talking about different types of relationships. And as he talks about these different types of relationships, the way we honor people, the way we honor widows in the church is different than how we honor leaders in the church. And it's different than how we honor um, our bosses at work. It's, there, there is, honor has a lot of, it's a multifaceted word. And so the New Living Translation uses a handful of different phrases to translate the same word that is honor is kind of the, the basis of it. Paul tells Timothy to, to show honor and respect and esteem to, to others. He, he starts by talking about widows. Uh, it, this, this word that he's using, though, it also relates to how we, we treat God and how we think about God. We honor God. So this is a weighty word that Paul is using to describe human relationships, right? It, it would be, it's a, it's a pretty big thing to talk about, like, we relate to God in this way with this, this honor, and we also relate to other people. That, that means that's a level of respect for other people that I don't know if we catch if we're, if we're not paying attention to exactly how Paul is, is phrasing it. And it raises the question for me before we get into the passage we look at today, it raises the question for me of, of who, who do we honor and how do we show honor and why do we honor the people that we honor? Why do certain people, you know, there are, there are certain people in our culture, in our world who just are worthy of honor, like we respect and, and honor. I, I think of, of servicemen and women. That, it is honorable to, to stand up and say, I will, I will go and serve my country in that way. Uh, we, we honor that. Uh, the Apostle Paul seems to think that there are certain people, because of their position in life, read widows, for example, that we looked at last week, because of their position in life, they deserve honor. They, they have come to a point in life, and widows were not people who deserved honor because they were rich. They weren't. They're not people who deserve honor because they have all kinds of authority in society, and boy, we really need to keep these people happy. No. They were people who deserved honor because they were in a vulnerable state. Paul says his church honors people in, in that situation. But there are also people who, who deserve honor, uh, or, or, or Christians are people who recognize others who deserve honor and show honor. Because of who we are, because of how we are formed by God at work in our lives, we are not afraid to say, I want to honor that person, because God would honor that person. Christians are, are the type of people who are willing to recognize that others are worthy of honor. We, we say, widows, though they have no, no clout politically, though they, they aren't the wealthiest people in society, the church in the first century said, we're going to honor widows. We're going to make sure that they are taken care of. And, and as Christians, we, we are people who, who show respect and honor to, to those around us. And as we turn to the passage we're looking at today, Paul uses that weighty word again, that, that honor word, to describe how the church responds to leadership. And this is kind of a weird passage to be dealing with today, and for me at all, I'll just be honest, but I'm going to read for us now 
First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. And this is from the New Living Translation. It reads this way. Elders who do their work well and are respected, or should be respected and well paid. Let me just back up. Elder, it's not talking about old people. It's not talking about people who, who have achieved elder status by living for a long time. This is talking about, if you've been with us over these uh, last several weeks, we've talked about the office of elder in the church. These people who, who take on a leadership role in preaching, teaching, and administering the, the church. And so Paul is talking about elders. Elders who do their work well should be respected and well paid, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ and the highest angels, to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgments. But, to certain judgment, excuse me. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious. And the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. All right, this is a little awkward. I'll just be honest. We're talking about uh, leaders in the church, and here I am, someone who has stood up and said, I believe the Lord has called me to, to a position of leadership in the church, and uh, I'm just trying to preach the whole thing, I promise. I'm not doing this for fun. Um, elders elders uh, are given the role of, of oversight in the church, of administration, of teaching and preaching, and, and Paul recognizes that certain people are called then for their vocation, their, their work, to be in the church, doing that, doing, doing the preaching, teaching, administering of the church. And the apostle says that they should, that the people who are vocational workers in the church should receive pay for it. Now, this would be a lot more awkward if I wasn't generously compensated for my work. I am. Thank you. God bless you. This is not an awkward conversation in that regard at all. Uh, our family is grateful for, for the generosity with which you treat us. Paul quotes in this from Deuteronomy, this wisdom of Deuteronomy, don't muzzle the ox uh, to, to keep it from eating when it treads out the grain. This, it's interesting that that passage, that, word, that, that bit of wisdom is found in Deuteronomy in just a very random list of, of wisdom sayings, of, of kind of commands that are given to God's people. It's not in that context associated at all with leaders or, or church. Well, the church didn't exist for several thousand years or a couple, several hundred years. Uh, the, uh, it's, it's related to treating animals well. 
Isn't that interesting? God's people are supposed to be compassionate to their animals. You don't, you don't let an, uh, an animal tread out the grain and say, ha, 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 oxen, wouldn't you like to eat that grain that is like your favorite food? No, God's people are, are fair and kind. And then Paul applies that not only here in, in 1 Timothy, but also in other letters, in another letter, he, he applies it to the way the church ought to treat people who do their vocational work through the work of the church. And, and so Paul, Paul has applied that and, and sees natural, natural application. Be kind to those who are called to vocational work through the church and let them experience uh, their compensation through the work of the church. Well, then Paul quotes uh, another, another quote he says from Scripture. It's actually a quote of Jesus himself uh, where uh, Jesus said, those who work deserve their pay. And Jesus is saying this in the context of sending his disciples out to prepare towns for, for Jesus' arrival. And so he says, go out and, and let people support you because those who work deserve, deserve their pay. These, these two verses would be pretty easy for me to gloss over and I don't, I don't want to make a bigger fool out of myself at all in any way. But I do just, I, I want to point out I want to brag on you, church, and I want to encourage you, church, to talk about the ways that you support those and honor those who, who are in leadership in this congregation, uh, because I, I don't want you to think that pay is the only thing. Like, we have four pastors on staff, we all receive, we all receive salary, and we are all grateful for it, and, and good on our leadership, and God bless you for, for doing that. Um, we know that not everyone who feels a call to ministry has the luxury of being in ministry full-time, and we don't take it for granted. It is, a, it is truly a gift to, to be able to say yes to the Lord and to, to not have to work another job to, to say yes to the Lord. Thank you. But let me remind you of the other ways that you support us. You pray diligently for us. Man, Todd, thank you for praying for us. Uh, for our congregation, but thank you. I, it is such a blessing when I get a text or a card or a note uh, saying praying for you. Um, it sometimes, some, some days that's what gets me through, and thank you. But you also work alongside us. You know, ministry is so much more fun when, when we get to do it together, and we have a great staff, and we have fun as a pastoral staff, but I'll tell you, like, Tuesday night, we're going to be doing ministry together as a church. It's going to be fun, because we're going to be doing it together, and, and thank you, thank you. You also welcome us into community. Uh, I visited Pastor Ryan in the hospital yesterday. To do that, I kicked out Jay because he was already there visiting Pastor Ryan. And then as I was walking away, Andy Gibbler was walking in. Thank you for, for loving us in such a way. Thank you for recognizing that we aren't holy robots who have everything together and for allowing iron to sharpen iron. Thank you for, for being kind when I say the wrong thing, which happens a lot. Thank you, thank you for, for recognizing that I am still growing in my ability to love like Jesus. 
and mature, I am still maturing. And, and thank God that he's not done with me, but I'm sorry, you have to deal with the areas of immaturity that are still left in me. And so thank you. And, and then I, finally, I would, just, I would just say thank you for welcoming us into your lives. Um, ministry, like the kids think all we do is preach and teach, and, and I spend a lot of time preparing to preach and teach. For, for me, the, the best part of being a pastor is, is getting to pray with, with folks, is walking with people through, through hard, hard situations and deep valleys. You know, it is, it is such an honor when a family asks me to do a wedding or a funeral. I mean, it is, it, it's huge for me to get to be involved in families at that level. And it, it's, a, it's such a blessing when couples ask me to pray for their marriage, when, when people ask me to pray for their kids or their parents or whatever is happening in life, when families ask me to pray about their livelihood, it, that's honestly like, I, I love to preach, I love to teach, but man, what I wake up for, what I, what I love is getting to walk with, with people. And, and ministry is, by God's grace, it's a lot of walking with people, and thank you. Well, Paul recognized, though, that not every elder gets it right all the time. <laughs> and so he, he launches into a, a few verses here where Paul helps Timothy deal with some of the false teaching that's happening, because there were leaders in Ephesus who were teaching things that were contrary to the gospel of Jesus. They were, they were leading people to, to make all kinds of speculative arguments and, and kind of just distracting people with, with things that weren't, weren't central to the faith. And, and so Paul is talking here to Timothy, who has oversight. And all of the commands that Paul gives in this passage, all of the commands that, that he mentions are, are directed at Timothy. They're in the second person. They're... Paul is saying you every time, singular, you, 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 you. Uh, and, and so Paul is, is giving these instructions to Timothy, but I think this is a good set of instructions for the church to hear and understand because it, it helps the church to know what to do when an elder makes a misstep, when an elder takes the church down the wrong, the wrong path or teaches something that's not correct. And, and it reminds us that we shouldn't just blindly honor everybody who is in a position. But people who, who are in positions of leadership ought to live lives that are worthy of honor, or that ought to live godly lives. Paul reminds us that sin has to be confronted. At the end of this chapter, the last little bit I read, verse 24, he says, the sins of some are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sin will not be revealed until later. He's not saying, make sure you hide your sin, right? That's not what he's saying. He's, he's saying all sin needs to be confronted. Because if we get to judgment before our sin is revealed, that's, that's a bad thing. It is, it is better for all of us if, if sin is repented of, if we can seek forgiveness for sin. I want to just remind us as a church of the Nazarene what we think sin is. Because I, when we talk about sin, everybody might have a different idea about what sin is. When we talk about sin here, 
we, we mean willfully disobeying what we know God has told us to do or not do. Willful disobedience of a known law of God is the way that we, we, tra- we talk about sin. So when, when Paul is saying some sin is, is obvious, some people are willfully, obviously flaunting the, the laws of God. They're saying, I don't, need, I don't need God in my life. Some people, it's deep in their heart. And they know, they know, we know when we sin. Uh, there, there, isn't, there isn't accidental sin when we, when we talk about it the way that we talk about sin. We know when we've sinned. And some sin is out in the open. Some sin is obvious, Paul says. Some sin is, is hidden. And, and it's insidious. And, it's, and it can be hard to escape when it's, when it's hidden, right? And so Paul, Paul tells Timothy to, to make sure that any accusation is, is taken seriously, but it has to be from multiple witnesses, like don't don't let somebody just say, "Oh, I, I saw this bad thing happen one time," and and take that as a reason to to dismiss a, a leader from the church. And and the way that Paul is talking about it, I think he's talking about persistent sin. He's talking about about sin that that really is is dishonoring to God and publicly dishonoring to God. And, and so he talks about sin that has to be addressed. And Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us a, a really good look at what it looks like for the church to address sin. He, he gives a really good outline of how we should address sin. Matthew, Matthew 18 says, we go, we go one-on-one to the person who's sinning, and then if they won't repent, we go more than one-on-one to the person. And if they don't repent, then we go to the whole, the whole church. Uh, I, I think Paul would stand in line with that. He, he talks about this public rebuke. It's supposed to be a, a warning to everybody. A public rebuke is kind of a scary thing when it happens in, in the church. But I, I think he would balance it with, with what Jesus says about confronting sin. Public rebu- rebuke is not the first step in, in addressing sin, according to Jesus. And so when we think back, Paul has dismissed a couple of leaders from the church in Ephesus. He talks about it in chapter 1 of, of 1 Timothy. He, uh, I think we can understand that he worked with those two men that he dismissed from, from the church. Uh, he, he was heartbroken over their sin because he had walked with them. And, and when he, when he tell, told Alexander and, and Hymenaeus that they are no longer leaders in this church. Uh, that wasn't the first step that Paul took in, in confronting their sin. And this business has always been challenging for the church. You know, uh, dealing with sin, is, it's uncomfortable. When somebody fails, it is uncomfortable. We, we tend to kind of try to run from it. It's a good idea to read passages like this when there's not a pressing issue confronting us, <laughs> this is probably a great time because I, I'm not aware of any situations that need to be dealt with in the, in the church with regard to this. Uh, and, and so this is a good time to be, to be looking at passages like this. As we, as we read Paul's words to Timothy, though, we understand he, it wasn't easy for Timothy in the first century it wasn't easy for Timothy, and Timothy was a great leader. Timothy was sent into the most challenging of circumstances, and, and 
Paul is giving these very clear instructions to try to make this difficult business easier for Timothy in the early church. And as difficult as, as it is uh, to have conversations with people about sin, it, it, we have to hold folks accountable. Uh, the, the church suffers when we fail to hold, hold folks accountable. One of the early church fathers, uh, Augustine, wrote, uh, if you punish a man, you may ruin him. If you leave him unpunished, you may ruin another. It's tempting to paint with a broad brush and to, to talk about you know, the church and to look like across the, the country. We, the church, we are not without bad examples. <laughs> we are not without leaders who have gone astray and who have, have taken lots of folks, hurt lots of folks in the process of, of going astray. Um, it, you know, it would be tempting to, to talk about those who have gone astray and those who have failed to hold others accountable, uh, because we, you know, we are all, all of us are responsible for the, for the work of the church and for the reputation of the church. Um, and I just don't know that that'd be all that helpful, though. <laughs> and, and so, we kind of soldier on. Um, Paul says, let's not show favoritism, though. You know, even when it's our favorite, our favorite pastor, let's not show, let's not show favoritism. Let's fairly approach issues that require, require confrontation. But the big advice that Paul gives on, on leadership here is just take it slow. Just, just be patient. Don't appoint leaders hastily. Hurry is bad for the church. <laughs> Hurry in the, these issues uh, tends to create problems. And when we look at the issues surrounding appointing leaders and dealing with leaders who've gone astray, there are a few substitutes for caution and time. Caution and time. We just, we take our time. We get to know people. And, and we appoint and we and we confront because we have relationship with the people we appoint and with the people we confront. I have the privilege, I get to sit on a board for our, our district, the Board of Ordained Ministry. And that board, it's like 28 people, I think, and we do the work of giving people the final interview before they are ordained as elders or deacons in the Church of the Nazarene. And folks who get to that point have gone through at least three years of full-time experience, or I think it's five years of part-time experience in, in the church. They've received education, and they come to that meeting, and it's pretty intimidating. I remember it. I think it was like 100 people when I was on that, in, in that interview, wasn't it? It was huge, right? Uh, and, and so the, the candidates for, for those interviews, they come in, and I'll be honest, in almost every case, they give really satisfactory answers about theology. We ask, them, we ask them about the doctrine of holiness. Every one of them gets asked, because that's kind of our thing in the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, we, we ask them 
about their testimony. We, we ask them about their call to ministry. We generally, we have a list of, of kind of their resume activity, things that they've done to get their experience in ministry and where they've served. And, and they're all like pretty convincing. But what is really helpful in those interviews is when one of the, the members of that group that interviews can say, uh, I know this one. I know this one. Last year, I got to be in the room when it was Pastor Becca and it was Brooke Thomas. And, and I got to be the one, you know, after they answered all these questions about theology and their call and doctrine and testimony, they answered them really well, by the way. They, you should be proud. They, they answer them really well, and then they leave the room, and everybody says, well, that was, that was great. And then I get to say, yeah, but I know the character that's behind that person. These are people we want to bear the standard for the Church of the Nazarene. There, there, is no, there is no substitute for, for time spent building a relationship and knowing people before we place them in positions of leadership. And, and so and I got to say, I've known Brooke for like most of her life, and, and I've worked shoulder to shoulder with Pastor Becca for over a year at that point, and, and been her pastor for almost two, and, and he's, there, there's no substitute for that. Well, uh, Paul says some, some sin is obvious and some is not. Some sin takes time for it to rear its head. And so time, time and caution, you know, time and caution. They're, they are on our side. Let me address verse 23. He just throws in there randomly. Verse 23, man, don't drink only water. Uh, you ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. Uh, remember, this is from a time when sanitation and, and water purification was not up to current stuff, snuff, right? Uh, bad water makes a person sick. I know. I've been there. It was a little town called Joa in, just outside of Quito, and I drank the juice. And I will never drink the juice in Joa again. I promise you. Uh, bad water um, makes a person sick. Timothy was often sick. Paul thought wine, after going through the fermentation process, would, would be healthier and safer for him to, to drink. Now, wine uh, being safer for water, I, I think there's a lot of evidence in, in Scripture. The New Testament makes it pretty clear. Drinking wine, not sin. Not sin. Drinking, drinking alcohol, not sin. In the Church of the Nazarene, we've committed that we want to be a place that is safe for those who deal with addiction of all kinds, including alcoholism. And, and so as a church, we say there's a lot more wisdom in staying away from alcohol than, than in pressing into it, than in, than in by being. And Scripture is, is quite clear that drunkenness is sinful. And, and drunkenness leads to all kinds of other sinfulness that, that is not good. And, and so, uh, you know, this, this passage, it, it's probably not licensed to switch your evening cup of tea to a glass of wine. Uh, don't take it that way. I don't think that, I think biblical wisdom would say, you know, drink water when it's good and purified. It's, it's okay for you. Well, 
that's not a complete study of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, but that's, that's as much as we're going to get. I, I want to look at the first couple of verses of chapter 6. Just uh, This will set us up. I'm setting us up to get to the end of, of 1 Timothy chapter 6, the end of the letter by the season of Advent. So we'll be, we'll be in 1 Timothy through the next three weeks, the first three weeks in, in March, and then we'll, we'll be looking, preparing our hearts for, for the celebration of Jesus' birth after that. But Paul, Paul has been framing relationships that Christians have with one another in terms of honor, right? He says, honor widows, honor elders. And now he's going to turn to a relationship that very obviously has a hierarchy. Very obviously, like everybody's going to say, well, there's somebody that ought to honor somebody in this relationship. It's the, it's the relationship of slaves to masters. And, and uh, so here we go. 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 6, verses 1 and two, I'm just doing the first half of, of uh, verse two because the second half kind of goes with the next passage, but he says, all slaves should show full respect for their masters. Full respect. It's that same Greek word, honor. Take care of widows, honor them. Uh, respect elders, honor. It's that same word. So all slaves should show full respect for their masters. So they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. If the masters are believers, that is no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well-loved. Well, when Paul talks about slavery in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he, he's continuing this idea of honoring, right? He's, he's on this... This idea, he uses that same Greek word, show full respect, honor. Now, slavery, slavery is widespread in the Roman Empire. In fact, the majority of the population were probably slaves in, in the first century in the Roman Empire. The, uh, Paul, Paul knew, without even being there, but he had been there, he knew that there were slaves in the church in Ephesus. And he knew that there were people who owned slaves, in the church in Ephesus. And, and in this passage, Paul doesn't give any value judgment about the, the institution of slavery. We read it, and, and our minds automatically go to what slavery looked like in the U.S., and it is universally condemnable, right? We, we don't need to think twice but condemn what slavery was in, in the U.S. that ended uh, in, the, in the 1800s. Uh, and... There are all forms of slavery still today. We shouldn't be ignorant about thinking that slavery is a dead issue. And, and I don't think there is a form of slavery in the world today that isn't universally condemnable. I, I, don't, I am in no way saying, boy, we really ought to take a look at this slavery thing. There's a lot of wisdom in it. No, this is not, this is not a, an institution that I believe Christians um, want to have any part in today. In the first century, it was an economic reality for, for a huge swath of the population. And, and so Paul doesn't give a value judgment here in 1 Timothy. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks directly to slaves, and he says, if you have the opportunity to be free, take it. If you're offered it, or if you can buy your own, slave, your own freedom, which slaves could do in the first century, take it. Do it. Don't be a slave if, if you don't have to be a slave. 
So Paul, Paul mentions that. And then he, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, maybe you'll remember, Paul lists a bunch of different types of sin. Slave trade is, is in that list of, of folks who are, who are sinners. And slave trade in those days often had to do with kidnapping. It was, it was you know, pretty terrible, terrible, condemnable behavior. And, and Paul lists trading slaves as, as a condemnable occupation. But every time that Paul talks about slavery in his letters, he mentions it in five different letters. Every time that Paul talks about slavery, slavery isn't seen as something that would hinder a person from living out God's plan for their life, which is interesting, right? Uh, slavery isn't seen as something that should hinder the spread of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel by slaves. Now, there, there's so much more that I should say about institutions that, in, in, culture, in our culture and in others that rob people of their prospects of improving their socioeconomic status, right? There's all kinds of things that should be said. Uh, the church, historically, we've wrestled with with institutions that oppress. And we've wrestled with whether we should just try to knock them down with revolution or if we should get embedded in them and try to change them from within. And I'm sure that a wiser pastor would have all kinds of comments at, at this point about what we should be doing in our world. But I want to focus on what Paul says. Paul, Paul is dealing with an economic reality. He's dealing with the reality of, of people in their daily lives and he offers them some wisdom. And so I, I, want to, I want to look at what Paul has to say. Paul, Paul gives instructions to, to people who were stuck in a dehumanizing economic life. There, there are quotes from the first century that talk about slaves being living tools, not humans. It is dehumanizing. It is not a good institution. It's not, you know, not great. But Paul constantly when he talks to slaves, he, he says nothing should tempt us to compromise our commitment to godly living. When he speaks to the people in Ephesus who are oppressed by their economic reality, he says even in this unfair situation where, where people are profiting off of your work way more than you will ever profit off of your work, nothing should hinder you from living a godly life. And what's the motivation that Paul gives? In verse, in, in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, the motivation that Paul gives is so, Paul tells uh, slaves, so they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. This is a reminder for us that every, in every area of our lives, every area of our lives, every relationship, in our working life, in our leisure, in, in our online life, in every area of our life, if we've signed on and we've said, I'm a Christian, I'm going to follow Jesus, we have made ourselves responsible for bringing glory and honor to God. That means in every aspect of our lives, we are thinking about how our actions and our words bring glory and honor and respect to God. And we don't really care what it, about our own, our own status. That means, like, when we get cut off in traffic, 
and we have like a little Jesus fish in our car, you know, we, we continue to, to live lives that, that reveal that we love the Lord and we want the Lord's reputation to be great. When, when we're frustrated by a line that should not take this long and why doesn't that person just learn to do their job? We continue to show love and kindness. We bring honor to God by our attitude. All the more if we have Church of the Nazarene on our shirt. But it always, always, because we're not doing it for other people to see, we're, we're bringing glory and honor to our God. It means that we show that same compassion and kindness to telemarketers, to authorities at every level. We, we show that kind of compassion when our employers need to hold us accountable. We show that kind of kindness and compassion when we have employees that need to be held accountable. When we sign on to the Christian faith, we are no longer living for our own reputation. We are no longer looking for people to look at us and say, oh, how wonderful that person is. When we sign on to the Christian faith, we are saying, I am going to live in such a way that people look at my God and say, wow, their God really transforms their lives. Their God really makes them into a person who shows love and kindness, who shows, who shows a, a willingness to lay their life down for other people. Our goal isn't to make our own reputation great. Our goal isn't to pad our own banking accounts. Our goal in life is to bring glory and honor to God. And everything we do, everything we do, we do to make his reputation in this world great. I'm going to send you off now. I'm going to send you into a week where you're going to be confronted with all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of decisions, all kinds of, of times when you will be tempted to say, man, I deserve better treatment than this. And, and Paul, Paul says, well, let's show honor so that, so that nothing will bring shame on God. So that when people realize that we are servants of the Lord, they'll say, man, that, that person sure showed kindness, love, and mercy. They didn't need to when I didn't deserve it. Uh, we're, we're going to do, do this together on Tuesday evening. We're going to, you know, have, we're inviting the community into our parking lot. May, may we show love and kindness in a way that we would love for people to come to our church. What we would really love, though, what, what would be success for us is, is if people came and, and said, man, the God they serve must be really great. Yeah, that's that's our, our responsibility and our role that would leave a pretty good legacy for us. Well, why don't you let me pray for you? You've, you've been patient. And uh, why don't you stand? As you prepare to go and, and bring glory to God in this week, let me, let me just invite the Holy Spirit to, to come alongside. Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for a church that lets me fulfill the call that I've sensed that you've placed on my life. I'm grateful for this group of people. Thank you, God, for the wisdom that your word gives us for handling all kinds of situations in life, even those sticky, yucky, awful situations when we have to confront sin and it, it's not fun, it hurts, it's uncomfortable. But God, again, we thank you that Scripture, that scripture gives us wisdom even in those hard situations. And then thank you, Lord, for, for the Apostle Paul's words to, to people who were in situations much more difficult than the situations we face in life, who had few, if any, prospects for, for improving their lot. And thank you for the reminder of how Paul spoke into, into those lives. He said, may nothing, may nothing hinder God having a good reputation. God, we're, we're headed into a week in the world. We're headed into jobs that bring all kinds of challenges and frustrations. We're headed into relationships that, that push us to our limit. We're headed into a, a world that has all kinds of annoyances and things that just get under our skin sometimes. As we go into that world, Lord, would you please, would you please pour out your spirit upon us so that in every interaction that we have with our fellow human beings, we can, we can show your love and mercy and grace. That we, we could see people the way Jesus saw people that we could love people even when it feels like it's costing us an awful lot to love these people. That our hearts would be stirred to love people like our Savior has loved even us. Go with us, God. We, we need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the First Mass Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.